So the gospel, as you hear a lot, is the message of good news in a world that's just full of bad news. It is good news because it gives us the true hope and comfort and and our security, our peace and true rescue and forgiveness and restoration and freedom and justification and, and, and rest that we're all looking for in our lives. This gospel declares this in the most like perplexing of ways because it's backwards to what we would expect and what we experience in this world. It's a message that says the almighty God just gives us these blessings through faith alone in Jesus, through his son, Jesus Christ. We do not do anything to earn these blessings from God, nor do we have to do anything in keeping doing anything to keep the blessings upon us. But rather, we just trust in Jesus as the one who's, who has done all the earning for us and just keep trusting in him. And he alone is the one that keeps these blessings upon us all by faith in him. For he lived the life that we could not live. He lived a perfect life, a sinless life, a life that fulfilled all of the law's demands upon us. He lived it all in our place. He then died the death that we deserved because of our sin against God. The wrath was, that was set upon you and me because of our sins, the eternal fury of punishment because of our failures before God, because of our inconsistencies, our hypocrisy, our lust, our perversions, our greed, our arrogance, our pride, our hate, our racism, our selfishness and cold-heartedness, our unforgiveness, our fear, our doubt, our obsession with materialism, uh, our idols. And and the list could go on and on. Christ took the eternal wrath of God upon himself in our place because of our sins. He was treated as the sinner before God, though he had no sin and was fully innocent. He paid the debt of sin that we owed to God on our behalf. And then he came back to life to give us what we could not earn, to give us eternal life, restoration with God to be declared righteous before him as his child, to only experience his blessings and now have all things work out in our favor before him. This gospel message says loudly that all of this and more and all of this and more is ours in Christ by faith alone in him and stays with us by faith alone in him, no matter how many times we fail our God. It's a true message of freedom. This message says that God's favor and his blessing stays with us, the repeat offenders of his law, all through faith in Christ alone and not by what we do for him at all. The gospel is not about, it's not about doing things, but it's about looking at what has been done. The gospel is not about achieving things and earning things but looking to the one who has achieved and earned it and earned it all for us. This is what brings freedom from the power of sin and death in our lives. This is what gives us relief from our burdens and gives us rest in this life from our weariness. Because it says no matter how much you fail at doing the right thing, no matter how much you mess up when you try to do the right thing, but it just explodes in your face because you just can't keep it together. No matter 
or, or even no matter how far you fall because you are just thinking of yourself, no matter how much of a monster you have been and didn't even realize that was possible and you are now living in shame of it, no matter how much pain you have caused someone in your life because you arrogantly would not listen to them because you just wanted to be right, no matter how many promises and commitments that you said you would keep but have broken because you really never meant to keep them but just wanted to look good in that moment, whatever the sin may be, whatever it is you think you have gone too far with, God does not and will not leave you, nor does he stop giving you blessings and favor and love and his grace. God does not turn his back towards us now that we have faith in Christ, even if we turn our back towards him at times. This gospel is good news. For again, through faith in Christ, no matter how small or how weak or how frail your faith may be, Because of the gospel, we are promised, because of Christ's finished works on our behalf through faith in him, that we are now given graciously all the spiritual blessings of God in our life. He is now, think of this, he is now bending this world, okay, all the things you interact with in life. He is bending it all to only work for your good in him through faith in Christ. Because you are his child whom he loves dearly and unconditionally and he will never forsake. This gospel's good news. He just gives and gives more and more of his grace to you even if you don't see it in the moment and even if you ignore it in the moment. God just gives you more grace. This gospel is good news for sinners such as you and I. And if you think that maybe I have overspoken about this goodness and graciousness of God, this freedom we have that no longer relies upon us, but just trusting in the one who's done everything for us, Romans 8, 31 through 34 brings all of this out and more by declaring the wonder of the gospel of grace of God over us even louder than I have ever stated, even from here, from what I just stated currently. It says in Romans 8, 31 through 34, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's like the amazing thing. How will he not also with him graciously give us some things? No, it says all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn you? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. See, through faith in Christ, we have everything we need in him in this life and the next. For the gospel is the power of salvation for all who believe. And you would, you would think then, you would think that because then we don't have to do anything before God 
to earn anything before God, since he just graciously gives and gives blessing after blessing towards us that is completely unmerited, even as we fail him all through faith in Christ, you would think that this would produce lazy people who just want to sit in their sin. But it doesn't. It doesn't. For when our heart is gripped by the grace of God, this gospel message consequently produces changes in our life as we dwell on it more and more because now we are spiritually alive whereas one time we were dead in our sins. And so changes happen to us. As inconsistent or as small as these changes may be, because we have been freed from the power of sin in our life, changes begin to happen even on a micro level within our hearts that are truly significant changes because our hearts now are alive as compared to being dead. For now we're beginning to look to Jesus by faith for our everything and stopping, and we begin to stop looking at ourselves or to anyone else or anything else for anything. We begin to look to him to find all, of our, all the love, the affection, the dignity, the worth, the meaning, the attention, the peace, the comfort, our, our, our purpose, whatever we're looking for no longer needing to find it in the people around us so that we can then function. I mean, sure, it's nice when people give us things like love and and respect, but we don't need it to live. We don't need it from them. For to live is Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. See, In Christ, we have been freed from needing to be loved by the people around us to establish our purpose so that we can give them love back. We can just love them. Freed from needing the praise of people around us to find a sense of worth so that we can end up serving them. We can just serve, irrelevant of any praise. Freed from having to always be right. But now we commit our wrongs to the people around us when we messed up because our identity is not built on self-accomplishment or being right, but is built upon Christ and his perfection on our behalf. You can just talk with people. Now, again, it's nice to have those things. It's not bad to have people love us and praise us, and and it's not bad to have all the right answers. But those things are not needed to function ultimately anymore in this life because we have all of that in Christ. He is our everything through faith in him. Think of it this way. Christ has come to do everything for us so that he can be our everything for us in all that we end up doing consequently by faith in him. We are free to give ourselves away to others, needing nothing in return because we have everything already in Jesus. Free to serve, free to love, free to encourage, and free to invest, free to seek the good of others at the expense of self. And all this happens as we focus on Jesus through faith, growing more and more dependent upon him for our everything. Because we know if we fail, which we will, hang out with me long enough, I promise I will fail you and you will fail me. We can confidently, by faith in him though, 
confidently know that his loving hands are always at work and will work it out always for our good in him. But that's the struggle, right? I mean, it's the struggle to remember that. We think we, think we can do it on our own. We think that we have to handle things on our own. And sadly, we think that if we mess up, we don't do these things, that God will stop blessing us if we fail him. So we must remember then the gospel every day with everything we're involved with, with everyone we're involved with. And by faith, let Jesus change us then from the inside out. Relying upon him alone to conform us to his ways, little by little, so that at the same time, we end up growing more and more in disgust towards our sin then. Even if we fall into it, we don't love it as we once did. We don't find the comfort in it that we once did because we have faith in Jesus and seeing him more as our everything. And this is what Paul has been going over in the book of Ephesians. And he's been, he's been revealing what a heart that is gripped by grace, what it looks like. He's been showing what these changes look like in our life. And, and more directly, he's been showing what it looks like in our relationships with each other. And for our context, he's been focusing on the family unit. He's spoken to wives. He's spoken to husbands. He's spoken to children. And today he's going to speak to parents with the Father in focus. So our today, uh, our passage is going to be Ephesians verse, chapter 6, verse 4, and our title then is Christian Parenting. Now again, if you're not a parent, don't check out, please, because there is gospel, truth, and principles that really apply to all of us. So let's look at the text and see how, Christ, how we can trust in Christ's finished works then on our behalf through, through him. Paul says in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And without getting too technical, with Paul here addressing uh, fathers directly, the Greek word here does have mothers in view. So what is stated applies to, to mothers, but it's directed, this law is directed at the father. Mothers are still part of it. So it's parents. And this brings us to our very first point of Christian parenting. The main responsibility is on the father. Or put more directly, Paul tells the fathers that they are to be active in the bringing up of their children and not to be passive and leave it all to mom. For the ultimate responsibility of this passage falls upon the father to enact. And what's fascinating is that he tells fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You would think, being that he just spoke about children in the prior context, that he would tell children not to provoke their parents to anger. That's not it. He says fathers are the ones who are to have the practice of not provoking their children to anger. Paul here is straight up telling fathers who are head of the home, who have the ultimate responsibility over the family, to understand that there is a huge tendency of fathers in that position. There is a pull of sin in fathers to be harsh or unfair in their discipline or expectations of their children. This passage is calling for fathers to reign in their authority over their kids, or their power, per se. 
no matter what the age of the child is. Or should I say, not to abuse it. Not to abuse their authority. Now notice here, Paul also says children, referring to both girls and boys. There's no inferiority of the two. Back then, it was thought of in that time that you know males had a more prominence in the life. But both girls and boys here are to be brought up in the exact same way. That will not lead to resentment towards their parents because of their father's harsh or unreasonable commands or expectations or maybe even severe discipline. This passage shows that what we say to our children and how we interact with our children truly affects them. So parents have to analyze their interactions with their children to see to it that they're not creating a deep-rooted anger in the child that is just building and building and that's oozing out hostility towards mother and father. Now, real quick, so we're clear. Paul is not saying don't make your children angry or frustrated because they didn't get their way. That's a whole nother, no. Paul is speaking of something a lot deeper and a lot heavier here. At the heart of the parent, or really at the heart of the father, which is the direct contact, uh, context in this passage, Paul is trying to open up and make us realize what's in the heart that ends up making the child angry. And this brings us to our second point of Christian parenting. So Christian parenting flees from hypocrisy in their own life. Boy, that applies to all of us, not just parents. So the anger that Paul is referring to directly is the anger that comes from a child when they see and experience the hypocrisy of the parents that are inconsistent to their beliefs in Christ, that they profess. This is what provokes deep resentment in children towards their parents. Because remember, he's speaking to Christians here. For example, when a child throws a temper tantrum and the Christian parent reacts or has a reaction that forgets the peace that they have with Christ and that he's now always blessing them, but rather, rather than remembering that and finding their peace in that, the parent throws a temper tantrum back themselves in yelling and anger in order to force the child to stop by being bigger and whinier than them. Or when the parent, the Christian parent, always disregards and disrespects and complains about the authority or authorities in their life through their words or lifestyles because they don't like the authorities. They can't stand the authorities. And they forget that it's God who placed those authorities where they are over them. And yet the parent demands their own authority to be respected, to be respected and highly regarded by the child with no complaints and no bad attitudes. Even though they have a bad attitude to those in authority themselves. Or when a parent 
makes a child do some type of behavior modification or success to enforce and affirm their own self-worth and comfort and security rather than the parent finding that in Christ. They overburden the child to be the vessel of affirmation in their life to make it feel like they are somebody. When they forget they are somebody already in Christ. We provoke our children to anger when we shame them into making them listen to us, forgetting that God does not shame us to get us to listen to him at all, but rather he just loves us. It's the kindness and patience of God that leads you to repentance in Romans chapter 2. Or when we try to compare a child's failures to someone else's success so that we can guilt them to do what we want, forgetting the very essence of the gospel that Christ came to do what we could not do so that we could be with him forever and he never holds that against us but loves us dearly and blesses us anyways as we fail to do what he asks of us. By the way, we do all these things with other people in our life, not just our children. Because we all make life about us rather uh, many of the times with a focus all on us to get things from people to make us feel better about ourselves because we hate being failures. But here's the thing, in Christ, he has released us from that to just focus on him rather than ourselves. Same with parents, same with those who are not a parent. And by the way, that list that we were just talking about can go on and on and on and on. <laughs> but I can only take so much. <laughs> but that is what Paul is getting at when he says, do not provoke your children to anger. It's when, we live, it's when we live and interact with our children that is not in line with the freeing truth of the gospel that it is finished for us in Christ. We, when we forget our freedom that we now have in full in Him, and we think life is back on us to carry and achieve and obtain and to control and to fix, we forget that it's finished in Him. And we're called to think about Him and look to Him, which is why Paul... Paul says at the end of verse 4, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And this brings us to our last point. Christian parenting makes much of Christ to their child. Now, as we look at this last part of this verse, this word here, bring them up, it's fascinating and intriguing, at least to me, because remember, Even though he's speaking to both parents here, the father is in direct view here. So what this means then, it's that the father who is, with this word by definition, means to nurture and fondly cherish their children. That's the very opposite of hardness and roughness, which typically comes from a father. So Paul is saying, with all your power, Father, with all your authority, Father, with all of your man strength, to tenderly nurture your children into maturity. It doesn't come naturally, generally, 
to men. Now, now what's really intense then with that is that it really ups the ante of how involved a father should be with his kids throughout their life. To nurture something means to give quality time to, to pay lively attention to, to be heavily Uh, heavily and patiently and kindly be involved with. And to do all of that, you can't just be harsh with it and move on to something else. To nurture someone, you have to come down to their level, come down to their understanding and look at them and listen to them and speak to them on their level, sacrificing your own self for their betterment to raise them up. Sounds familiar? We do this when we think of how Christ has done that for us. He came down to us, to our level, and he nurtures you and me through faith in him constantly, consistently, and lovingly, and patiently, and kindly. Come to me, all you who have burdens, and I will give you rest. That's how a father is called to interact with the child, or parents too, because that's how Christ interacts with us. He carries our burdens. So raise the kids up in what then, right? Well, it's what Christ does for us by faith. Paul says does the father should do the same thing or parents should do the same thing in nurturing. It's the same thing in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's what Jesus does with us through the power of the Holy Spirit by his word. The power of the gospel. Paul says the parent's concern and values for the child is to be that of the Christian life. The Christian life, not necessarily the highest education, not necessarily the greatest uh, uh, sportsmanship or, or or success in this world. That's what generally parents want, what I want. The value is the Christ to be the Christian life before God. Or put differently, the Father's values and concerns should be the Lord's values and concerns. For the child's life. And, that is the f- and it is the father who is the primary tool in which the Lord uses, as one theologian says, to bring the heart of the child to the heart of his Savior. Now, do mothers do this? Yes. But the ultimate responsibility lies with the father. And by using the words discipline and instruction, though they have a lot of crossover, They have two slightly different emphases. Discipline would be more in line of the deeds, what you do. That is correction in love, that though it might be painful in the moment for the child, it will bring benefit to them in seeing the greatness and the goodness of the Lord and how he is the true provider of all things in them and not the world or even the parent. And the word instruction is more in dealing with is more in dealing with words. That's what instruction is pointing out. Like teaching, warning, and encouragement to reveal how the Lord and His ways 
are right and true, true as compared to the world's or even the parents. And the key to both words then is in the Lord. Because now follow me here. Because this is what Paul is ultimately getting at for both parents and the child. And it goes straight to the heart of this matter. The point of discipline and instruction is not to make us comfortable because we don't like what's going on. The point of discipline and instruction is to make much of Christ to the child and not make much of the parent to the child. The goal of parenting in any situation, at any age, because even grandparents are still parenting in some sense, is to point to Jesus as the, as the one and only Savior and how He is the only one who can fulfill the child's needs and be their everything, unlike the world in which they live in and even the parent. But many times parenting, we make it about us rather than Christ. To show the world how the world just gives false hopes and gives false promises that, can ne- that it can never deliver on, deliver on. And even that parents will fail at this too, for they are sinners just as much as the child and anyone else that's in need of Christ. But the parent is to point to Christ as the true hope and that he never fails at giving the promises to us through faith in him alone. Even if we fail him, he gives us his promises anyways. Now to you parents, (laughs) and myself, who may be thinking back on all your mistakes you have made with your children in the past, or maybe you have made currently with your kids, or maybe you have kids that you never met because you abandoned them and they want nothing to do with you. Understand this. Through faith in Christ, any charge that's brought against you for not doing what this verse states, Christ has fulfilled for you. He has fulfilled this very command for you by his perfect life for you because he knew you could not live up to this perfectly. So through faith in Christ then, you don't have to live in regret, but can be free from it. You don't have to live in shame, but but can be free from it. But rather, you can have peace in knowing that Christ has covered you fully by his blood and he doesn't hold this against you, even though your child may be doing so right now. The gospel is good news for you so you can rest in Jesus and know that all will be okay in the end for you, for all things are working for your good in him now. And you can now pray for your child boldly, without regret, Boldly in the grace of God to Christ that they may come to know him and see his power and grace in their life. And going back to those of us who currently have kids and are seeing your failures and don't see how you can live this out because when things get hectic at home, you lose it. Know this, you are already forgiven in Christ and you can start anew right now. Even if you fail as soon as you get home, you can start again right now and you can start again and again and again and again and again. Restart, restart. Keep hitting that restart because his grace never runs out on you. For Christ is yours now and he will empower you even through your mistakes 
to have him shine bright to your kids through your faith in him. He will use you to reveal how he is the only perfect one, how he is the only true savior for your children, even through your failures towards them. For by faith in Jesus, you are constantly with your life and with your words pointing to him, saying his grace is enough for you and he's enough for them. Even if you fail your kids, they can know that Jesus will never fail them. For he is the only person who can keep his promises, the only person who has no sin and is always looking out for what's best for us. He even uses our problems and mistakes for our betterment in him. And we do this by always, point, by faith, by pointing to him. And really, that is a message for us all. We are to live our lives declaring by faith that his grace is enough for us in the world. That though we fail him and others, he never fails us and he will never fail them. That though we fail to serve him and serve others, he will never fail in serving us with his blessings or them. That though we fail in loving him and loving others, he never fails to love us or them. And so we run to Jesus with empty hands of faith, pointing all people to him because we know and believe in the promises of the gospel that has been sealed by Christ. That even with our miserable performances of following his commands, we can all rest in knowing that since Christ has obeyed the law perfectly for us, he will take our mistakes, he will take our failures, he'll take our mess-ups towards those around us, and he will use it all to have himself shine bright in our lives through faith in him alone, for his grace is greater than our sin. And as we focus on the gospel then, which we're called to be reminded of every day, we will consequently... By, the power, by his power alone, end up living out the very commands that God demands for us because Christ himself provides and empowers us to do so because our focus would be on him and not ourselves. So church, no matter what state of life you're in, let us remember it's finished in Christ. That we're called to rest in him by faith knowing that he will and he is taking full care of us. So no matter what, no matter what our life ends up looking like, we know that in the end, it will be okay for us because our end is with him. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. As the deacons come forward, you can pray with them. You can pray up here. You can pray where you're at. If you need to confess to the Lord, just confess to him. If you don't know the Lord, I pray you come to know him he loves you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the hope of your gospel. Thank you so much for the wonders of your blessings that are just given over and over and over and never ending despite our failures. Help us, Lord, to rest in you. Help the parents in here to rest in you, Lord, to know that you will be taking care of their children and to know that you're taking care of them. And that when we mess up, when they mess up, that there is still hope because Christ lives. Because Christ lives. May that be the motivation to keep, continue parenting. 
even through the failures. May that be the encouragement of those who maybe don't know their kids, but know they're out there, that they will continue to pray for them earnestly. And may that be the power of all of us, Lord, to constantly point to you, even with our failures, towards those around us. You know, because you live, there is hope. There is hope for us and the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.